0: Hi everyone. So this is one of the my many final talks. <laughs> one of my many last days. Um, I've had a I've had a I've been kind of a dingbat this week. I like the word dingbat. I, well, I'm trying to bring it back. Um <laughs> It's kind of, it's, it's, it's got a mid-century charm to it. Um, and uh, uh, I goofed on service two mornings in a row if you were here. I had to like out loud be like, what happens next? <laughs> or like, um, and uh, and uh, then I was late to my own departing monk ceremony, uh, which is uh, uh, humbling. It's humbling. So I apologize to people that I inconvenienced over the past six months. Um, I uh, I taught a class that just ended on Thursday. We did, I think, about five weeks of um, a kind of a chronology of meditation instruction, starting from uh, Buddha, Buddha, um, 2,500, 2,600 years ago in India, going through China and going through Japan. Um, and in typical style, I tried to do way too much in a way too short amount of time. I think we tried to do, I think in five classes, we, we tried to cover something like 12 texts or something. <laughs> um, so we ended up skimming. It was, it, I, the more I got into it, the more rich it, it, it seemed to be. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always having different, a negative way to say it would be like I have like a different axe to grind at different times, you know, or a different kind of mood that I'm in dharmically, you know, like, I think when I first got here in June, I gave a talk and it was all about, like, Pure Land Buddhism, and it was all about devotion and stuff like that, and, uh. And it's funny because, like, by the time I talk to people again, I've, like, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I can be persuasive. And uh, <laughs> people are, like, on board with whatever I said two months ago. And I'm like, oh, I'm not even into that anymore. Um, <laughs> so last summer, dude. Um, but it's all, it's all it, there's a season to it. It's, it's, like, it's like our clothes. You know, like, just recently, oh, I saw that, there's a great marquee at some place in Austin that says, when it finally got cold, it said, uh, temperature went from 90 to 55 like it saw a state trooper. (laughs) 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 But, like, like it's, uh, you know, we go through uh, Dharma moods, and all of a sudden, you know, so one day, and it could be, it could very well be dependent on the weather, you know, it might be t-shirt weather and you're like oh devotion and then like it gets cold and you're like oh I want to sit and then you know in the fall you're like I want to study you know and it's all it's all good um but one of the on the and I, it's hard to it's hard to start to talk about this without feeling a little bit high horsey or scoldy or something like that but I don't really mean to be that way but I had uh, on the first It's, it's not, I'm, I'm in the mix. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the pool of people that I'm, that I'm talking to right now, you know? But on our first class, uh, on this class series about meditation instruction, it occurred to me to ask, and it's a great question for us to ask, but it's like, okay, so why do Buddhists meditate? You know, like, why do Buddhists meditate? And what makes it Buddhist meditation? Because methodolo- methodologically, um, what we're doing isn't inherently Buddhist. You know, like people have been crossing their legs and watching their breath since the Indus Valley civilization in Harappa in like 5000 BC or something like that, you know? So like, why is, why, what makes the meditation Buddhist meditation? And what makes Zen Zen Buddhism? You know, and so I got a lot of answers that were kind of uh, immediate about it. The um, and and I think this is kind of the way that we're trained often in the Zen school to kind of respond from the from um, kind of our immediate psychophysical experience of the activity of sitting. So I'm like, why do Buddhists meditate? And I got answers that that are kind of sensations that you would experience or or psychophysical phenomena that you would experience while you're meditating. Well increased calmness or clarity of mind or something like that and I'm like yeah but like what's the agenda of it you know um what's the point of it so that what um and uh and I think another aspect of Zen training is that we're kind of we kind of imbibe this ethos of never having an agenda you know um did you did, have you ever heard that yes. that you should never have a goal or never have an agenda um, do you have you ever found that confusing <laughs> or discouraging you know so my um, so there's a so with you know there's no glib answers in any of this and so whenever you hear a phrase like that of, of having no goal or something like that or non seeking know that there's a specific contextual way that that's true and there's a specific and, and and there's also a way to like totally misinterpret that you know um, and there isn't like a kind of mm, all all the teachings are provisional like every phrase or every doctrine is, is is provisionally true you know and has and has instances when it's when it's inaccurate i think any concept is provisional I mean, your existence is provisional. Yeah. So any concepts within that existence will also be provisional. Yeah. You know what I mean by provisional? I mean, like, tr- true for now. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, what I'm interested in uh, these days is really um, encouraging, particularly Zen students to contextualize their practice with, with, um, uh, acquainting yourself with what the teachings actually are, you know, and to acquaint yourself with the teachings, uh, I I like to do that in kind of a chronological way, to go to early Buddhism and, uh, and figure it all out, you know, um, uh, from the agenda of early Buddhism and follow it through history, you know, follow the story of the, uh, development. Um, would anybody like to venture to say what the agenda of Buddhism is? No. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's one of the side effects of the agenda of Buddhism. Um, or uh, well, in, yeah, actually, kind of. But like, but like, even bigger than the world, you know, in Mahayana Buddhism, universal peace, yeah, and non-universal peace. <laughs> um, but actually, peace is an excellent word because um, it's not really, a, you know, we make this distinction between um, happiness and peace in Buddhism. And uh, a happy mind is considered in Buddhism, uh, again, provision, a provisional mind state, you know, a temporary mind state that has an expiration date. You know, happiness is not, ha- actually, happiness isn't necessarily sustainable as a mind state you know Um, because eventually you won't even uh, you won't even experience it as happiness because you'd have nothing to compare it to you know so happiness will not manifest as happiness if it's sustained it will manifest as like how it is you know just like everything that we have that's sustained you know you ever is your life situation um, a life situation that you once wanted but now you don't notice like if those of you that are in a relationship with someone that maybe you pursued at a certain point or that you're interested in, or gosh, I hope that person likes me, and then you're in that relationship, and then it goes from. You know, I saw this one funny cartoon, and it was like at the beginning of a relationship, it's like, um, I put my head on your chest so I could hear your heartbeat while you slept. And then towards the middle or end of a, you know, further into relationships, like, I recorded you sleeping last night so you can hear how loud you snore. <laughs> you know, so that's what happens when, when with sustained happiness. It doesn't, re- it doesn't manifest as happiness. So you end up needing kind of a bigger fix. You know, it's like, if I could only get a job and I just want to make ends meet and I want to have a simple life, and then as soon as you kind of, as soon as that becomes homeostasis, it's like, all right, that feels normal now. And actually, my making ends meet feels the way poverty did three years ago, or whatever, you know? And then, now me owning a house feels just as unsatisfactory as not owning a house, you know? And then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know? And so, the agenda of Buddhism is not so much to uh, increase happiness, but it's to become more kind of connoisseurs of mental states, and, and to develop an interest in peace, you know? The mind is peaceful, and I think, and uh, uh, there's this monk, there's this harmonica playing, motorcycle riding monk from LA, of course, um, <laughs> named Kusala Bigu, uh, Kusala Bigshu, and Kusala means wholesome, or skillful. And uh, we were upstairs watching a video of him yesterday, and he says, that, you know, most of us think that peace is kind of happiness that's flatlined. We're not so interested in peace, we want kind of uh happiness, excitement, you know. Um so having that kind of developing that bandwidth to have that capacity to have be interested in a mind that's peaceful. And when you become more of a connoisseur of your mental states, a lot of the um a lot of our pursuits and endeavors are for a non-peaceful mind, actually. You know? Um right now I'm playing with the idea I've been playing with it for fifteen years, but right now I'm considering, you know, what would it be like to take full monastic ordination? You know? um, because in the Zen school, we don't have to abstain from a lot of things that traditional Buddhist monastics have to abstain from, such as relationships and stuff like that. And I'm like, what would it be like to be in a, you know, to be a monk, like in the tr- in the old in the traditional sense, like the rest like the rest of non-Japanese Buddhist countries. Um, uh, have and then I'm like, well, you know, no one will ever touch me again, you know. And humans need to be touched, and wouldn't. That, and then I think, well, what's my actual experience of laying next to somebody and, and being touched by them? I'm like, it actually elicits a lot of kind of craving. You know, um, I'm kind of like, uh, okay, that's great, but like, when are we gonna have breakfast? Or like, or like, I don't want this to end. There's a lot of like these things that we think make us happy. They often kind of fan the flames of longing and aversion. Right? I want I want positive experiences to continue endlessly, and I want negative experiences to be banished forever. You know. Um, so it's interesting to to become more tuned in to the subtlety, and that's part of the agenda of meditation. Getting tuned into the subtlety of our of our uh, mental states and noticing what in Buddhism we call these kleshas, kleshas, which means afflictive emotion, or any emotion that detracts from your peace of mind. And the three root kleshas are uh, attachment, aversion, and ignorance, or greed, hate, delusion, you know? Leaning towards experiences and moving away from experiences in order to perpetuate our uh, uh, pleasure, you know? Um... And then so that's the green and hate. The delusion experience is is actually being confused about how things exist, and having our root our fundamental thesis of our, of our unspoken agreement with objects be wrong, you know, like uh, um, uh, delusion would be um, you know. A gla- uh you know the the two ounces of bourbon on one ice cube made me feel good you know if I have ten ounces of bourbon on ten ice cubes, I'll feel even better <laughs> 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 yeah um, uh or that person is beautiful so so being constantly close to them is only gonna make me more happy you know these basic uh um fundamental uh, uh, we don 't even believe that they're beliefs that we have because they 're so um, persistent. you know we don 't we, we see our beliefs as beliefs. we see our beliefs as how things are. you know so in Buddha's, in Buddhist meditation you 're stabilizing yourself and witnessing you know what we are calling me all the time as actually like content of a mind that has nothing to do with that stuff. Does that make sense? You know, um, you're observing thoughts as thoughts. You're observing notions as notions rather than identifying with them immediately. As soon as they arise, I need this, I want this. You know? So it's having a really, you know, cooled out relationship to what arises in your mind and body. Cooled out. That's what that's, kind of, that's what nirvana actually means. It means kind of cooled out. Yeah. Um, where to go from there? Now, another thing that I've been noticing in my conversations with people over the past few weeks is that we have a lot of impatience around this. You know? Um, it's kind of like, you know, I'm doing this and it's not making it better. You know what I mean? And um, that takes uh, you know, the the word sati, which gets translated as mindfulness in the Pali language, it means something like remembering and familiarizing. And the word gong which means meditation in Tibetan. It means familiarizing and memorizing, you know. In uh, Tibetan Buddhism, instead of calling the meditation hall the zendo, they call it the gompa, which means like the room for remembering or the room for familiarizing. Um, and then even in English, we call it practice, which means, you know, um, approaching something again and again and again and again. You know, in engaging something again and again and again and again. Um, And uh, that frustration is part of that whole developmental endeavor. Uh, So, uh, Bodhidharma talks about this. And I feel like this is a good, this is one of the earliest Zen texts. And, And Bodhidharma is kind of a semi-legendary figure, you know, and, all, and uh, all the biographical stuff that we can find about Bodhidharma is, what's the word, like, hagiography, hagiography, yeah. but it's like, it's like a, like a, it means the kind of, um, a biography, but like a biography that's grossly exaggerated usually by a religious figure, because a hagi means like like a saint, right, like a biography of a saint, right, so it's like, oh yeah, Bodhidharma was great, he invented kung fu, and he ripped off his eyelids, and threw them on the ground, and he turned into tea plants, and like, yeah, you know, and if you watch the movie, there's a Chinese movie from the early '90s called Master of Zen. It's all free on YouTube. It's ridiculous. Um, they took they took a Chinese guy and painted him red so that he'd be Indian, um, and uh, gave him I don't know that he had the. Yeah, the they dressed him up like what they thought an Indian, South Indian king would have looked like in 500 BC, which was like this kind of Aladdin outfit with like pearls and stuff. Um, and they and they kind of conflated every legend of every Zen master and worked it into this movie, you know. And then at the end, he's like sitting Zazen and they're shooting flaming arrows at him. You know? so, that's what it was like. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah it's
0: it's it's great. Um, yeah um uh, but they worked in some some of the tradi- they worked in some koan stories, you know. Um there's the polishing the mirror which happened, you know, uh 800 years after Bodhidharma or whatever, but but um, you know, in the old days, you if you tried to meditate, people would shoot you with flaming arrows. <laughs> But there's this great scene actually with it's a big Chinese monastery and they're like oh this scholars visiting from India and then this guy that looks like a homeless biker with no shoes on walks up and they're like oh my god you know? and it's interesting cuz they talked you know they did call Bodhidharma in Chinese Buddhism they called Bodhidharma the red-bearded barbarian um, or the blue-eyed foreigner the blue-eyed barbarian and there is that that kind of thing where um, of course, you know, from a Chinese point of view, Indian culture was a little bit coarse. You know, like they didn't use utensils to eat and stuff like that, you know. Um, uh, anyway, um, Bodhidharma, but this text, even though Bodhidharma is a semi-legendary figure, this text is old. You know, it might not have, might not have been a guy with a beard uh, writing it. But this text is about sixth century, so it's early early Zen text, um, and it's called the uh, it's sometimes called the Long Scroll, or the two two entries and four practices. So two entries. I'm looking at you for the chains. That would be that would be, two entries, and the four practices would be, Se... Se... So, she, yeah. So, anyway, I like languages. Um, and that's what it's called. It's just called, sometimes they call it Bodhidharma's Guidelines for Practice or something like that, but the actual Chinese name is just those four words uh, four, two entries, four practices. Oh, and sometimes they call it a long scroll. Um, and so it's said in this text. Many roads lead to the path, but basically there are only two, reason and practice. Now, this is Red Pine's translation, um, who also looks like a homeless biker. And in other translations, they don't use this word reason. In other translations, they sometimes say principle and practice. But Red Pine says reason and practice. I like I like principle a little bit more. I like the two. I like mentioning both of them. Actually, they both make up for each other. Um, many roads lead to the path, and this is path with a capital P. You know, because in, in China, this idea Dao, uh, this idea of Dao and Dharma were used rather uh, interchangeably. So Dao kind of meant Dharma, but it also kind of meant Marga, which means like your the trajectory of your practice or the path of practice. You know. So many roads lead to the path. Or many roads lead to the Dharma. But basically there are only two. Reason or principle and practice. To enter by reason means to realize the essence through instruction and believe that all living things share the same true nature, which isn't apparent because it is shrouded by sensation and delusion. Those who turn from delusion back to reality, who meditate on walls, the absence of self and other, the oneness of mortal and sage and who remain unmoved even by scriptures are in complete and unspoken agreement with reason or agreement with the principle. Without moving, without effort, they enter, we say, by reason. To enter by practice refers to the four all-inclusive practices. So when he says the two entries and the four practices, the four practices are the content of the second entry, so to speak. The second entry is the entry by practice. To enter by practice refers to the four all-inclusive practices, and they are suffering injustice, or sometimes called suffering in adversity, adapting to conditions, seeking nothing, and practicing dharma. And I think these four are a really good remedy for the impatience that we feel at the outset of our practice. About I'm doing this and it's not working. You know, or I'm not feeling better, or I'm not happy, or whatever. Because the first one is is you know suffering injustice or facing adversity. Yeah. And he says, When those who search for the path encounter adversity, they should think to themselves, In countless ages gone by, I've turned from the essential to the trivial and wandered through all manner of existence, often angry and without cause, often angry without cause and guilty of numberless transgressions. Now, though I'm doing no wrong, I'm experiencing the results of my past. Neither gods nor men can foresee when an evil deed will bear its fruit. I accept it with an open heart and without complaint of injustice. The sutras say, when you meet with adversity, don't be upset because it makes sense. (laughs) With such understanding, you're in harmony with reason. And by suffering injustice, you enter the path. So that's to say, everything I experience has a cause you know it's just it's just a result everything that I'm experiencing is a result you know though getting dumped is a result getting sick is a result it's all karmic results and it's all because the seeds have been sown and we're experiencing it all now from beginning this time you know if you're unhappy with the current administration of the United States government all of that's been in the works for eons you know, this is the fruition. This isn't one guy showed up and said, I'm going to make your life difficult. You know, like, like we're inheriting the effects of, you know, and, um, like I'm a, a early 20th century. I'm the descendant of early 20th century immigrants from Sicily. We had the doors open to us, you know, come, they, they used to give, they used to give you land you know, you said that was that movie. I don't. Know, I know it's not a documentary, but that movie uh, with uh, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. You know, farm that was far and away. That was like a real thing. They used to come and give you land. You know, uh, you come, you come work the farm, and they give you land. Um, so this is like the result of, of, of the of beginningless karma. Um, um, That's not to say... Now, it's tricky when you start talking about that, because then you, you, it starts to sound like, well, you're deserving. You're deserving what you're experiencing. You know? And it's not... There's not... Deserving doesn't really enter into the picture. You know? It's just like, this is what's, this is what's happening, and it's what's happening because of beginningless beginning was cause and effect. You know what I mean? Um, and, so, and so when you're facing that, and what does that do to you as a person... Like moving through with the world, saying like, okay, this is the result. You know? This, this is the result of everything that's happened since beginningless time. What am I going to do about it? You know? And he says, you know, for countless ages gone by, I've turned from the essential to the trivial and wandered through all manner of existence, often angry without cause. Angry without cause is very interesting. You know? Do you ever get angry without cause? Like, um... I notice every time I feel physical pain, I'm, I get mad at something. It's just a natural reaction, like I have to, you know? Like if I'm, this happens at work a lot, if I'm leaning underneath a counter, and I come up, and I hit my head on the back of the counter, it's that goddamn counter.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, do you have that feeling? Were you mad at, at at the insentient for harming you? <laughs> you know? And it's like, oh, why am I unhappy? And it's like, because I because I don't understand my my relationship to things.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, I'm misinterpreting my relationship to things all the time. That everything's, everything's doing what it does. You know? Um so, so suffering adversity, you know? Like, of course I feel this way. Of course i feel this way i've done nothing to to do anything differently thus far at the outset of practice you know i've had a mind that's been pursuing um pleasure based on its limited understanding of how the world operates from beginning this time of course i'm having all of the suffering now you know and then as soon as you get to that place of not taking your life personally the uh, immediately peace floods in. You know, pretty much immediately. With that acceptance. You know, you're not, it's not, you're not cured, but there's an increase of peace. Why am I like this? Well, because I'm like this. You know. Why is it like this? Because it's like this. I remember one time, uh, there was this lady at Telsahara that wore a lot of earrings. And this is during the training period. It's not like, she wasn't like a guest. She was like a, she referred, called herself a monk. And she had tons of earrings. And I'm just like, can't adorn yourself. You're not supposed to wear jewelry to the Zendo. You can't have like, and it was like, like clip, 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 cartilage, part cartilage, chain from here to, you know, it was like really gaudy at <laughs> both ears, you know. And it was during practice period. It's in the winter, we're all solemn. And for me, it's like live-action role-playing. I'm like, you know, I picked a school of Zen that had medieval outfits, you know? And I'm in the, and I'm in the middle of the... Oops. Stupid bell. Um, and I'm in the middle of the woods, and there's little cabins with little smokestacks on them, and we're all walking around, there are medieval outfits, and I'm going like to kind of live in my fantasy. And then this asshole shows up with earrings... <laughs> And um, she's ruining my fantasy of monasticism. And I remember I went to Kosho who was the head of practice at the time. And I'm like, what's up with you know this jabroni with earrings? And um, he's like, uh, some people have earrings. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the times when I when I used to go to kosho and I and I'd have some kind of tirade, of uh, so you often praising yourself at the expense of others. I I I tell them what's good about me or what I've realized or what's bad about someone else, and you would go, "Cool." <laughs> a, not not supportive, but just kind of oh, good, good for you, man. You know. But um, this uh. It is the way it is because it is the way it is. You know? At least the resultant aspects of it are. And that brings us to the second part, which is adapting to conditions. As mortals, we're ruled by conditions, not by ourselves. All the suffering and joy we experience depends on conditions. If we should be blessed by some great reward, such as fame or fortune, it is the fruit of a seed planted by us in the past. When conditions change, it ends. Why delight in its existence? But while success and failure depend on conditions, the mind neither waxes nor wanes. Those who remain unmoved by the wind of joy silently follow the path. Those who remain unmoved by the wind of joy silently follow the path. You know, I think it's easy to see you know, like, I, I, I don't want, I don't, I, I avoid, I'm not good at getting political, so I, I, it's better when I don't do it. But um, uh, there's a, you, you see this thing in this country, of uh, people that were born into privilege and really regard themselves as earners, you know, um, uh, either financially or in terms of power, uh, you know, there's ways that you have, there's ways that people have more, privileged than others and, and have no point of reference for, for understanding that they didn't do that. You know, like I have my, um, we all have our certain faculties that we didn't necessarily develop, you know, but you just kind of have them. Um, and, uh, you know, you have people that, uh, there's this, um, There's this. I should I even say this? There's this. There's a sketch in this old sketch show on HBO called Mr. Show, and this guy. And this guy says he uh, he owns a company called Globochem, <laughs> and he says my great grandfather started this company, or my great 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 grandfather started this company with just a rickety old slave ship and a motto, you know. <laughs> um, so. Uh, um, there's this, um, so I mean, that's an extreme example, but so whatever the conditions are, know that they're temporal, and they, and they were co-created by a bunch of non-me aspects, or non-you aspects, you know what I mean? So engaging with somebody that you feel is uh, uh, unskillful or evil, if we even think like that, they're, they're, the, they're the result Of a bunch of non-them aspects, a bunch of conditions coming together to create such a person. And my life is the result of a bunch of non-me aspects coming together to create such a situation. You know? And so whatever I'm good at isn't necessarily because I'm good. You know what I mean? So there's that adapting to conditions of not being, of remaining unmoved by the wind of joy. You know, I have this opportunity right now. I might not have it later. Let's, let's... Like, you know, not turn the mind from the essential to the trivial by getting caught up in these temporal winds, you know? Um, is there more to say on that? Does that is that clear enough? Um, another thing about adapting to conditions that was interesting. Like, you know, I, like, like, like... Marco said this morning in in the ceremony what is all this coming and going you know I often get dissatisfied with my life situation and and move on seeking something different you know and rather than adapting to conditions because I'm always taking me with me everywhere I go and so it's interesting to think of a place like uh, any practice place and being like here's what's wrong with it it's really easy to figure out what's wrong with it It's easy to figure out what's wrong with a practice or a practice place or a teacher or something like that. You know, like, I don't like Zen because in Zen you never get to sit outside. Theravadans get to sit outside, you know? And then you can get all focused on that and be like, I can't do this. I I can't be part of a tradition that doesn't meditate outside, you know? (laughs) And so that little thing, that one shortcoming or whatever... It's like, I'm going to go to the people that, you know, sit outside. And then you go to the Theravadans, and you're like, they're sitting outside, and they eat one meal a day, and they beg. And it's like, they don't believe in ord- full ordination for women? I, got, I can't do that, you know, I have to, I can't be part of an organization that doesn't, that doesn't do that. So I got to go to, you know, whatever. I remember I was hanging out with Joan Halifax, the teacher at Upaya, and she said, I don't like Tassajara, the, the sky's too narrow.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: because Tassar is in this little valley. You know? And I remember I remember when I got to Tassar, I'm like, I'm moving to the monastery, and then I'm like, this isn't a monastery, it's a bunch of cabins in a row. A monastery is like a square, and then there's little <laughs> corridors and there's a courtyard in the middle, you know? And how do you how do you do rituals in a place that doesn't have a really high vaulted ceiling? You know, you can't do you can't do rituals in a place with a low little ceiling like this. You know, and so like um and so it's like, okay, you can figure out everything that is falling short, but uh what are the alternatives? Like nothing's gonna ever be as good as um a hallucinated reality. You can des- you the sky's the limit in your mind. You can design anything. And when you design and when and when you're comparing what's really happening to what should be happening in your mind you're going to be disappointed forever. You know? Well, it shouldn't be like this. It should be like this. It's like, yeah, I agree with you, but if things weren't exactly as they are, they would be better than they are. But what, what the hell do you want to do about that? You know? So this is adapting to conditions. It's like, okay, there's something that is irking me about this, but I'm going to show up. You know? And I'm, and part of the reason why I'm going back to California is to is to um, show up in ways that I've been unable to show up. At I I'm not, I may or may not end up there, depending on if I'm welcome there or not. But, um, you know, a lot of the times when I was in the in the kind of the temple system, when things weren't going my way, or if I was under peer review or or, or scrutiny from supervisor, I pick up my toys and, and leave. You because know, I didn't have the bandwidth and part of that is this privilege thing you know i'm i'm the golden child i'm a boy you know i'm clever i'm i have wit and charisma i don't have to wash dishes and 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 and, and Alter my speech to the way that makes everybody comfortable, or, or adapt to, or sit in meetings where we spend an hour talking about who gets to hang up a sign that says put your dog on a leash and what that sign should look like, and like, you know, what department that has to go through, and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm a Dharma star. I don't need to do that. You know? They love me in Texas. So. You know, being able to, to, to really sh- show up and undergo that, and, be, and if you don't like the way something is, be part of the damn conversation, you know, um, which we're going to have today. Instead of, you know, and this, is a, and this is a great thing in studying and practicing. It's like, we're not trying to figure out if something's true or not. We're trying to figure out what's true about it. You know, someone presents Buddhist idea of karma. It's like, is that true or is that not true? If that's true, I accept it. If it's not true, I reject it. That's the way we think. But it's like, what's true about this? You know, okay, Austin Zen Center is, I don't know, the, this, whatever. I, I don't like s- such and such about it. But like, what do I like about it? What's helpful about it? What does it have to offer that other places don't have to offer? What do other places? Maybe it's not your practice. What do other places have to offer that this doesn't have to offer? But, if but compare things that exist to things that exist. <laughs> don't compare things that exist to things that don't exist. Because a non-existent is, you can make up whatever you want.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this is adapting to conditions. Third is seeking nothing. It says, people of this world are deluded. They're always longing for something. Always, in a word, seeking. But the wise wake up. They choose reason over custom. That means custom meaning our habitual way of relating to things. You know, was, um, one of the things in my whole like, exploration of this idea of monasticism, people keep saying, well, well, sex is like a necessary part of human life. And I'm like, what do you mean by necessary? Mm-hmm. Like, n- necessary? Like, you have to? Like, that's custom. That's not reason. You know what I mean? Um, choose reason over custom. They fix their minds on the sublime and let their bodies change with the seasons. Let your bodies change with the seasons. You know, not trying to retain or regain something that's gone. All phenomena are empty. They contain nothing worth desiring. Calamity forever alienates alter, Calamity forever alternates with prosperity. To dwell in the three realms is to dwell in a burning house, three realms past, present, future. To have a body is to suffer. Does anyone with a body know peace? Those who understand this detach themselves from all that exists and stop imagining or seeking anything. The sutras say to seek is to suffer. To seek nothing is bliss. When you seek nothing, you're on the path. But there's that seeking nothing is in itself a certain action item. So it takes a certain type of deliberateness to do an orient, an, a shift of orientation. You know, a shift, a paradigm shift. You know, so um, it has to be that educated seeking nothing, the seeking nothing, and then there's a little footnote, seeking nothing within the context of the correct understanding. And then that brings us to the fourth, practicing the Dharma. The Dharma is the truth that all natures are pure. By this truth, all appearances are empty. Defilement and attachment, subject and object do not exist. The sutras say the dharma includes no being because it is free from the impurity of being. Now, this word impurity, I think, uh, I was trying to think of what word I like better than impurity. And I think the non-essential aspects. So, um, the dharma includes no being because it is free from the non-essential aspect of being, or the non-essential idea of being, the non-essential notion of being, you know. And the Dharma includes no self because it is free from the non-essential notion of self. Those wise enough to believe and understand these truths are bound to practice according to the Dharma. This is the thing that we were talking about last week. When the hook sets, you're bound to practice. You know, and and whether that takes formal form or not, once that, um, you know, what does it say? Uh, uh, there are those. What, what sutra There are those with but little dust in their eyes. I think that's Indra talking to Buddha. You know, there are those but with little dust in their eyes. And once you start to peek through, you know, when you start to go like, you know what? None of this is working. None of this is working. And then you're bound to practice. Bound to practice according to the Dharma. And since that which is real includes nothing worth begrudging, so this is the flip side of the other thing. That which is real, uh, you know, objects are empty, so there's nothing to desire. And since that which is real includes nothing worth begrudging, you give your body, life, prosperity, and charity without regret, without vanity of giver, gift, or recipient, without bias or attachment. You know, there's this idea, sometimes when I'm doing something good, I want someone to notice. I want someone to see me, and I'll even freaking tell them. Um, like totally unessentially just like you know I'll, I'll, like I went to my boss the other day and I'm like you notice that the toilet's clean in there? and she goes like did you do that? I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, what would it be like to not care if anyone noticed? What would it be like to not be concerned about whether anyone thought you were good or beautiful? And to eliminate impurity, they teach others, you know, to eliminate the non-essential. They teach others, but without becoming attached to form. Thus, through their own practice, they're able to help others and glorify the path of enlightenment. And with clarity, or and with charity, they also practice the other virtues. But while practicing the six virtues to eliminate delusion. They practice nothing at all. That is what is meant by practicing Dharma. You know, when Dharma starts to take root in your life, it it's not it's not visible to you as Dharma. You know? It's kind of like I was thinking about that today when I was putting this stuff on. I'm like, these are these are my clothes. You know, they're not dharma robes or priest robes or whatever. They're like my clothes. These are like what I wear when I do my life. You know, and it's not visible as dharma. But provisionally, it needs to be visible as dharma, so that we can identify what we want to invest in. Anyway, so that's the having worked through the text that I wanted to work through. And then another thing I wanted to mention is that um, part of my agenda is that Zen students can contextualize their meditation practice in a country where there's not a lot of formal um, instruction on the kind of breadth of the path. And a lot of the times when people want to talk to me, they want to talk to me because uh, they want to know how to, find, how to find the information. In a kind of uh, a place where it's hard to find the information in this country, you know. So I uh, I just had this whim while I was waiting to come down while the, while the bell was going that I wanted – and because of a few conversations I've had, I've, I've dealt with this idea. Let me send you like a syllabus with um, a, like a book list that's split up into different sections and then also access to f- – there's courses that you can do that you pay for and then you get quizzed and everything and you get even a, like a certificate and then there's like um, a bunch of you could look at the curriculums of the monastic universities and find in English almost all of the content in free audio files so I was thinking about sending, sending out, for those of you that want to listen to 14 hours of Buddhist logic
1: it's you know, a white
0: horse, white no it's a horse, Like stuff like that um, <laughs> or does it exist like the hair like the horns of a hare And like all these, you know, really ancient ways of analyzing stuff, you know. Does the magician that made the elephant out of sticks see an elephant or see sticks? No, he must see an elephant. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to do it. You know, like all this cool old stuff. Um, So I put a little piece of paper that just says like study list from Koji. And if you want to put your email on it. And I'll do like a BCC so you don't get any, like, people can't see your email and you don't get like a fatal attraction or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'm actually literally afraid of that all the time. <laughs> um, so uh, it's 11, 12, do I have questions question at all? Or do I a couple questions? Does anybody have any thoughts or reflections? Yeah.
1: I just want to say thank you so much for offering to do the syllabus as you started the Last month, mm-hmm. I thought, well if you just do a list of the books he mm-hmm. was looking at? Yeah. And, and then in a
0: couple of years, you can be filled with regret for not studying the books.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No thanks. Yeah. I, I, that's my. That's my one of my many agendas in life. Yeah. I was kind of drawn to what you said in the beginning about. Uh, and go towards the pleasure, but i found in myself that a lot of times the things that I'm most afraid of are the things that I need to do the most. Mm-hmm. And then I go and, and, you know, in the past I'm like, no, I'm not doing that, and then they're like, fine, don't do that. And I'm like, okay, well, I actually kind of want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Our systems are trying to maintain homeostasis. And for us, homeostasis is a, a habitual way of relating to things, which is which is very very limited and bound up, you know. So like uh, you know, they say this phrase: "There's nothing new in samsara. There's nothing new in cyclic existence. There's nothing new as life as I've always lived it." You know. So there's something needs to be stepped out of, and that's why in the Diamond Sutra it says it's a rare person that hears this without getting a little scared. You know. Yeah. There's the guardians. That's why temples have guardians. You because know? if you're gonna if you're gonna do what's inside there, you got to be able to make it past the scary stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anything else? Choose your parents wisely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not. It's not possible. We just got It's it's not it's not our fault. Our life situation is not our fault, and it's totally our responsibility. It's, it's 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 you know we have nothing to compare it to we have nothing to swap it out for. You know, it's the raw material that we have. You know? So
1: speaking of raw material, mm-hmm. did you read why Buddhism is true?
0: No, I can. I, I the title pissed me off.
1: <laughs> well, you should read it. <laughs> um, it takes an evolutionary point of view oh. and says more than just our. Endless karma just biologically mm-hmm. we were programmed never to be satisfied yeah because if you were satisfied you'd sit and mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't search and go to dangerous places mm-hmm. and so that was a fabulous book yeah i highly recommend it uh, we're,
0: we're the inheritance of the people that were able to to find what they need exactly you know yeah
1: and also it's the curse because mm-hmm. you're never satisfied
0: yeah All right,
1: y'all. Thank you so much.